I love that. You may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. This is so true. Actually, it's a bit like me going rowing, you know. I've gone rowing twice so far this year. I row in a skull, nice long thing. First one, it was, it was easy, it was just beautiful. I saw a, something that looked like a ferret. I didn't know exactly what it was, and oh, it was wonderful. And the second time, oh, it was such hard work, and there's my blister. And you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. And I'm going to share this morning about a battle that I have fought and won and fought and won and fought and won. And I'm still fighting. I am going to read from Daniel chapter 3. I, I love this story. This is exactly where I am at right now. I am in Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, all these guys. Uh, they came to the dedication of the image that he'd set up. They all assembled. I'm just going, you can read this yourself later, but I'm aware of my time limit. Verse 4, the herald loudly proclaims nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, I, I read that and I think, well, I wonder what, what, what I would actually do. I mean, let's be honest. I, I think probably uh, my first thought was, um, I'll stay at home. Then I can worship God and no one can complain and I'll never be out when they make the music so that I'm supposed to bow down so I'll never get caught, I'll stay at home. But then eventually, of course, I'd have to go out and buy food. So what would I do then? Well, maybe I'd bow down, but I'd still honor God in my heart, and I, I'd be a good Christian, but I'd just do, because, I mean, I'm sure God doesn't want me to burn. Um, maybe I'd do that. Well, there, there were three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they didn't bow down. They would not bow down. And, and the, the beauty of it is, this is very clear. It's very clear what they're asked to do. So it was a very clear stand they had to make. And actually, I, I, I read yesterday, what's his name? Uh, Naaman. You know, the guy who had leprosy and he went to see Elisha. And Elisha healed him of his leprosy. And uh, after he healed him, one of the things he said, please forgive me when I go in to worship the, the god Rimmon and my boss is there. I have to bow down and worship. Please forgive me. And uh, Elisha said, go in peace. Uh, and 
it, it's important that we recognize no condemnation. You know, if, if you don't have the faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, no condemnation, if that's not where you're at. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were confident. They were confident. And this is what they said. They wouldn't bow down. And so all the bosses and whatever, uh, they went and reported. Reported it to the, the king. And verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were brought before the king and he said, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Come on, do it now. And they played all the music. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. God's able, God will, and if he doesn't, tough, we're still not going to serve your gods. I'm going to come back to this story later. Um, I, I've shared my testimony before. I got saved when I was 17. Six months later, I was ready to quit. Not because I didn't believe, not because I didn't think God loved me or any of that stuff, but because what I saw in the church was not the same as I read about in the Bible. Um, I've always read the Bible. I love the Bible. I read the Bible before I got saved. I, I'm a logical thinking person. Uh, I teach math, so that's where my logical thinking comes from. But it's like, if you want to know God, the obvious place is read the book about him. So I read, 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 prayed, read, prayed, and I was ready to give up being a Christian because the life that I saw in the church was not the same as the life I saw in the Bible. But then I got baptized in the Spirit. And it, it was like I put my toe in. I mean, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And uh, I was reading again in Acts recently. Acts 1.8 says, I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power. You will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. And I was reading that and praying and asking God to speak to me. And, and I was focusing on the word messenger. You will be my messenger. Now, if you ask someone to take a message for you, if you ask, say, one of your kids, please go and tell so-and-so supper will be ready in half an hour, and you send that message, and they go, and they don't deliver it properly, 
They either say, uh, supper's ready, or supper will be ready in, in an hour, or whatever it is. They don't deliver it accurately. They're not good messengers. And I, I was reading this, and I was thinking, what is God saying to me? You know, I, I know it's important to share about Jesus with people, but there's more to this than that. And I realized God was saying, speak the truth that I give you. That's what God is calling me to do when he says I've got to be his messenger. I've got to say his words, not my words. If I'm going to be a faithful messenger, a faithful witness, I have to speak his words, not mine. I, I, I loved it last week. We had uh, some people from, thank you, School of Ministries, and uh, a young lady was uh, speaking. She was flipping tall. I, I use that word flipping not much now, though, but it was nice to hear it again. Flipping tall, yes. And uh, she shared some things with us. I, I loved it. One of the things she shared was stand in front of a mirror and ask God what he thinks of you. And it's like, I'm sitting there thinking, why do I have to do that in front of a mirror? But I did it because I, I always like to, to do what I'm told. And, uh... <laughs> but God speaks truth to us. He speaks truth to us. I, I was reminded of a song my son used to sing when he was about five years old because we wanted to teach him that, that he was loved, that he was precious, that he was worth loving, that God loved him. And this is the song, and I know I'm not a good singer, so I'm going to sing it until you join in. I like myself, I like myself, and Jesus likes me too. I like myself, I like myself, and so should you. Right, that's an easy song, remember it, sing it three times a day. We, we struggle, don't we? We struggle to speak the truth about ourselves. The truth that God says, not the truth that the world says. I, I remember Nathan sang this song one time. We went to the swimming pool, and uh, a lady said, oh, he's full of himself, isn't he? And it's like, the world doesn't want us to like ourselves, but God does. God does. God does want us to like ourselves. He's made us beautiful. He's made us precious. He's made us lovable. And we need to learn to speak the truth about ourselves. I, I want to quickly look at a story of what happens with negative speaking. In Exodus 3... And that's when Moses is around, and I'm reading from verse 7. 
The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. So the people are in Egypt and they are slaves. They are not having a good time. That's putting it mildly. The, the slave uh, guys in charge, they're making him do horrible work. I mean, they were there because Joseph saved Egypt, but the Pharaoh passed on, a new Pharaoh came, they forgot what Joseph had done, a new Pharaoh rises up, sees these people that are not Egyptians, and they're getting more and more, so he says, we've got to control them, so he makes some slaves. They are not having a good time. They are slaves. Slaves generally do not have a good time. So the Lord says, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave traders, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I'm come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I'm going to jump ahead to verse 16. Um, go assemble the elders of Israel, say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I've watched over you and have seen what's been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So here's the picture. They're having a miserable time. God recognizes they're having a miserable time. And he says, I'm going to bring you out. Not only am I going to bring you out, I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. Yay. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Not to the people that received that promise. They did not. There were two of them. Um... Caleb and Joshua, thank you. Two of them, two of them received the promise. And the rest of them, God spoke it to them. Clearly, I know you're having a bad time. I'm going to bring you out, and I'm going to bring you into a land flowing of milk and honey. He didn't say, I'm going to bring you out and put you in the wilderness for 40 years. He didn't say that. He said, no, I'm going to bring you out and bring you in. Yes. But it didn't happen. So why didn't it happen? You know, God promised it. God said it. All your promises are yes and amen. I totally believe that. So why didn't they enter in? Numbers 13, there's the answer. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. I am giving this land to the Israelites. Send some men to explore. So he did. Gets together someone from every tribe, and they go. They explore. And I am jumping ahead to verse 27. They go in, they come back, and they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here is its fruit. You know, here is a grape. I've never seen a grape this big, but here is a grape. This land does flow with milk and honey, and here is the, the, the fruit. But 
the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, etc., etc. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land because we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than us. And we saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And herein lies the reason they didn't inherit the promises. Their unbelief disqualified them. Their unbelief disqualified them. Oh, we're like grasshoppers. We can't do it. But God said you can. Well, the enemy's too big. We can't do it. But God said you can. But, 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 but. And they disqualified themselves. They disqualified themselves. And this isn't the, the only story. I'm, I'm reading through scripture and I found another story even recently. Um, I'm just going to take it very quickly. Eli's family in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Eli was the priest. 1 Samuel 22. Sorry, 1 Samuel 2 Verse 12, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. It was the practice of the priests that whenever any other people offered a sacrifice, the priest servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. I mean, they were not honoring God in any way, shape, or form, and Eli did not discipline them. Verse 27. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord said. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestors out of all of the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up on my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I have prescribed? And then down verse 30, I promised, this is what God said, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now... Far be it from me, those who honor me I will honor, those who despise me will be disdained. Very clear, God promised, but because of blatant sin, they did not inherit the promise. I'm not saying this for you to think, well, I had a word and it hasn't happened, there must be sin in my life, I very strongly believe that if that's an issue, go and ask God and give him a chance to speak to you. And if he doesn't, then don't worry about it. Always give chance, God a chance to speak. But what I'm alluding to here 
is that just because we have a promise from God doesn't mean we sit back and we wait for it to happen. And I, I've had that attitude in the past. I've received words from the Lord and I thought, well, I'll just get on with my life. You know, I'll teach math and play tennis and row and I won't think about anything else. And God's promises will happen. And guess what? I'm learning, I'm learning. So over the past weeks, God has been speaking to me. And God has been saying to me, Mary, you are strong. Now, I don't particularly feel strong, especially when I lift my boat up to go and put it in the water. Uh, not even, I mean, that's physically strong. Other things I, I really struggle with. I have uh, friends who are going through difficulties and I'm praying for them and they're not healed yet, which I wish they were. And I, I, I don't feel strong. I feel weak. Anyone else feel weak? Well, the Bible's very clear. Let the weak say, I am strong. That's from uh, Joel 3.10. Now, I know in context, because I always look up context. I love the, the songs we sing. I love going back and finding the context and what was meant there. But... Um, and I read this, and the context was not spiritual at all, and I thought, oh, well, I don't have to say this. But then I discovered that uh, Paul said it was spiritual, so I think I'll listen to Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, 10, no, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. The extraordinary level of the revelations I've received is no reason for anyone to exalt me. For this is why a thorn in my flesh was given to me, the adversary's messenger sent to harass me, keeping me from becoming arrogant. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this, but he answered, my grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weakness, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of God working through me. I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger, for my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. Now, I, I used to read that and think, well, you know, I, I face struggles, but not because I'm out there saying, Jesus loves you, you need to repent. But God showed me, no, a lot of your things that I'm struggling with, uh, particularly at work, is because of what I won't do and my stand for righteousness, which is because of my love for Jesus. So I won't gossip. When someone starts gossiping, I will leave the room, which doesn't really help because people don't like it. But some of the persecution and difficulties we face, yes, it is because of our love for Christ. But when we are weak, we need to declare that we are strong. We need to speak out the truth. So I've been learning this over the week, weeks, and declaring, yes, I'm strong, yes, I'm strong, yes, I'm strong. Um, I have a friend, uh, another school teacher that I taught with. She is 35, has one child, and she has cancer. 
and uh, I've been praying for and praying for and praying for, and I was on holiday, and I just felt so discouraged because she was going through chemotherapy. Um, she has to have a week of it at a time because her cancer is so bad, and, and I was praying, and and uh, I'd say to her, God's bigger than your cancer. And she said, yes, I believe that. And, and yet I'm not seeing what I want to see. And I was praying. I was on holiday. And, and I was walking up and down the beach, as I am wont to do on holiday. And, and just feeling discouraged and praying for anything and everything except my friend. And then uh, God spoke to me. said, Mary, you're strong. And I said, yes, I'm strong. And he said, what's the point in being strong if you don't fight? What's the point in being strong if you don't fight? I saw this thing on, on YouTube. There was a, a bodybuilder. I mean, he looked really strong. And he came into, a, I think it was a taekwondo um, and he thought he could be everyone. And a girl who did not look strong at all defeated him easily. So there's no value in looking strong. The value is in being strong. And if I'm going to declare that I'm strong, then I am going to use that strength and I am going to fight. And I'm going to fight until I see a, a victory. Every area, I am going to fight and keep fighting and keep fighting and keep fighting. So I am continuing to uh, pray for my friend. And I, I realize too, you know, how important are the words that we say? Proverbs 18.21, your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life. The tongue has the power of life and death. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So what we say is so powerful. So I will declare an end to the cancer in my friend. And I will speak victory in Jesus' name. And I will declare my strength. There, there was a, a, another thing Mike and I talked about um, on holiday because it's bothered me for years. And I didn't have my books to, to look up, but it was good to discuss. I would like to say, life will throw at you more than you can handle. I really have seen this again and again. Life will throw at you more than you can handle. I've heard this saying, um, where is it? God never gives you more than you can handle. And people have interpreted it to mean that whatever comes along, we're able to deal with. Well, I have a word for that. It's called codswallop. <laughs> and if you're English, you would understand codswallop means rubbish. That is not true. That is not true. Everything that comes along, no, we are not able to handle it. That's why we need God. <laughs> now, now, this comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. And apparently, the, the Greek word for temptation and tempted, they could, could be both the same, but... Temptation. Temptation and tested, thank you. We talked about it a lot. <laughs> temptation is something that tries to drag us into sin. Uh, the obvious uh, illustration would be Genesis 4-7. God speaks to Cain and says, if you, don't, if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. If you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. You must master it. I know my, uh, my favorite illustration of this is when we were first married, I, I used to bake a fruitcake every week so that Mike could have a slice for lunch when he went to work. And you take a fruitcake out of the oven and it's hot, and it smells good, and I have to wait. Well, I'll just have one slice, two, three. <laughs> it was an, uh, an incredible temptation until I discovered my way of escape. I made a fruit cake, I took it out of the oven, I cut it up straight away, put it in separate bags and froze it. I know you're not supposed to do that, but that was my way of escape. That stopped me eating uh, more than I should. I, I read about uh, some TV show called Hee Haw. Doc Campbell is confronted by a patient who says he broke his arm in two places. So the doc replies, well, better stay out of them places then. We need to avoid temptation. I, I need to say, my son drowned. It was not a test from God. It was an accident. It was a tragedy. It was not a test, and I could not cope with it. I couldn't bear it. I couldn't cope with it, and uh, if I didn't have God, and a lot of support, I don't know what would have happened. But there are a lot of things that come our way. Life will give us curveballs, more than we can cope with. That's why we need God. That's why we need God. If we could cope with everything, we wouldn't need the Lord. Psalm 46, 1 to 3. God you're such a safe and powerful place to find refuge. You're a proven help in time of trouble. More than enough and always available whenever I need you. So we will never fear, even if every structure of support were to crumble away. We'll not even fear when the earth quakes and shakes, moving mountains and casting them into the sea. Because we cannot cope, 
because we don't have the strength within ourselves, because we are weak, we turn to him, and in him we are strong. And, and even Paul was overwhelmed at times. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 11. Brothers and sisters, you need to know about the severe trials we experience while we're in Western Turkey. All of the hardships we passed through crushed us beyond our ability to endure. This was Paul, crushed beyond his ability to endure. And we were so completely overwhelmed that we were about to give up entirely. It felt like we had a death sentence written on our hearts, and we still feel it to this day. It has taught us to lose all faith in ourselves and to place all of our trust in the God who raises the dead. I am weak. I feel weak. But God says I'm strong. And I will declare I am strong. Even if I don't see the answers to all my prayers, I will continue. I will continue. I have a choice. You know, when my friend wasn't healed, I, I've got a choice. I can, it'd be so easy to speak out lies. Oh, God doesn't heal everyone. God wants to heal everyone. Well, maybe when you die, you'll feel better. You know, I mean, stupid things. God loves us so much. He desires wholeness for us now. And that brings me back to the story that I started with, Daniel 3, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us and will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. So this is my declaration this morning. I may not yet be seeing all the promises that God has given me, but I can declare the truth I am loved. I am loved. You are loved. John 10.10, 10, Jesus came to give me everything in abundance, more than I expect. Life in its fullness until I overflow. Well, sickness doesn't fit in that. Poverty doesn't fit in that. I am strong. And I will continue to pray and believe that God has so much more for me and for you. And one last thing I wanted to add that I feel is so important because sometimes, you know, I, I would hear things like this and I think, well, it doesn't reply to me because I, I'm not on the ministry team. I don't have to have faith. Well, when I was a young Christian and we'd pray for people to be healed and they weren't healed, we would always say, oh, it's because you don't have enough faith. Which is a horrible thing to say. I mean, poor person's sick already, and then to put condemnation on them. 
And it, and it really bothered me, so I went to the scriptures, which is what I always do when people say things that bother me. I went to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Is it the fault of the person? And I realized, I'm just going to give one verse, Mark 6, 5. Jesus was unable to do any great miracle in Nazareth except to heal a few sick people by laying his hands on them. He was amazed at their depth of unbelief. So this was not to do with the individuals he prayed for. This was a group mentality. He was amazed at their unbelief. So if someone isn't healed when we pray for them, it's not their fault. It is our responsibility. Everyone. We all have a part to play. Are we believing? Are we expecting God? Are we looking for God to do what he's promised to do? So our response is important. I would like to finish and uh, remembering, like I said at the beginning, to win a battle, often you have to win it more than once. And I know when I, I look at this, there are times I just need to say, sorry, God, I blew it again. I said something negative about myself. I shouldn't have done it. You made me strong. I am strong. I can make a difference. So if you're understanding, if you are in agreement, I would like you to stand. I am going to uh, read this. I'm going to read a phrase. I would like you to repeat it if you are in agreement. Father, forgive me for my negative words. Forgive me for my unbelief. Help me to learn to speak out the truth about who you are and who I am in you. I am loved, I am precious, I am beautiful, I am powerful, I am strong. You are going to use me to make a difference in my areas of influence. Thank you for the change that you are affecting in me and through me.